Hey, Kyle here. I'm excited to look at God's word with you today. You've seen on social media the take a song title and add one word to it to change the meaning. And basically, it's add a word, ruin a song. You've probably seen also the take a movie title and add one word to change the meaning. And it's hashtag add a word, ruin a movie. If you've got a hilarious add a word, ruin a song, or add a word, ruin a movie, let us know. Comment that below. We would love to see how creative you can be during this teaching time. But just as we can ruin a song or a movie by adding a word, sometimes these beautiful passages in Scripture get ruined when we add in something that's not, in fact, there. Whether that be a word, an insight, our own cultural lens, or our own experiences. The progression of Colossians chapter 3 is having the resurrected life in view for the believer. And Paul describes that what that looks like in the church community and then begins to apply that same thought process to the first century Roman family. And in the Colossian believers, they know that God has made himself known to them in Jesus. And they should reorient their whole lives around who he is and what he has done for them. And that means living in response to Jesus in every aspect of life, where they live, work, and play. Even in how they relate to other humans with different backgrounds and different stories and how they relate to one another in the local family. While today we look at this marriage relationship, here's an important need to know if you aren't married. You play a vital role. You hope those who are married function within God's design displayed in Christ. You can be an encourager, a friend to those in your life who are married and say, remember, we are to follow Jesus together. You, you play that crucial role in being a part of the body of Christ. And if you aspire to get married, then this is the design that you are willingly enter into as we look at this passage today. In your aspiration, know, and please hear me, that marriage isn't your salvation. It won't provide you the satisfaction you seek for your soul. If you've got some turmoil in your life or if you just feel like getting married will stifle kind of that, that restlessness, that, that gap in your heart, marriage isn't going to satisfy that. Only Jesus will. And if this is something you're struggling with, I don't want to minimize that. I know that that we were created for relationship. First relationship with Jesus and also relationship with other human beings. So know that you aren't alone. And we have people at Generations Church who want to walk with you through that. For those of you who are dating and engaged, the rights and responsibilities discussed in today's teaching, they're not the same for you. The difference between dating and engagement and marriage 
is simply is there is a formal ceremony that says you are committing to one another, being united, and it goes beyond just legislation by the state, but it's before God to say you're going from being two separate individuals to becoming one. And that only happens through a ceremony, much like baptism is the picture of us saying yes to Jesus, a formal ceremony entering into a formal relationship that says we are saying no to other relationships and we are saying yes to each other before God. There is a commitment that then lends itself to certain rights and responsibilities. And so Paul applies his thesis in this section, live in the present as the type of human you will become to the married couple. The couple's marriage is a picture of new humanity. That's how Paul is applying that, is how is the new human to live in the context of the marriage relationship? We've looked previously at how the the new human is just to look in context with the local church. You can check out prior week's teachings for that. And in coming weeks, we will look at what that means for being children for being good employees or bosses. But today we look at marriage. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created humanity. Male and female, he created them. But something distorted this goodness of both male and female being created in God's image. Sin, the decision to replace God's will and God's way with their own, began to pollute the human relationship. And the result of that is there is this curse that now permeates every type of relationship. And God looks at the woman and he says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Adam and Eve married in the beginning, but he shall rule over you. And he says to the man, the work of your hands will be difficult. The ground will rule over you. So there's this brokenness present. This curse pits man and woman at odds for power in the relationship. And the following text provides guidance for how to reverse the curse. So as we look to Jesus, Jesus is going to make this relationship that has essentially been cursed because of sin back to what it once was. And in Genesis 2, it describes that that man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It means that they will be united and not at odds, as in the curse describes. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's, there's nothing whether it's emotional, spiritual, physical, that distance, that distances man and woman, husband and wife from each other in this picture in the garden. But we know because of sin and this curse that there has been distance placed. And what marriage does, and when a married couple follows Jesus together, is there to be a picture of a reversed curse within our world that points back to how God originally created male and female to be in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other. 
So when you speak of marriage, and when you speak of your spouse, the words you use and the actions you do either points to Jesus bringing new humanity to its rightful expression or to the curse. And you perpetuate that curse in the way in which you speak about your spouse and of marriage and the way in which you live as if marriage is either a good gift from God or something that is a drag on human relationships. Paul describes this this way. He says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. As I read those verses, I know there is a level of baggage and you have some probably lingering questions. What does that mean in our world today? Well, we will look at some of that today, but I would also encourage you tune into this week's midweek podcast as John and I look at some more of the nuances that I may not be able to cover in today's teaching. I want to stick strictly to the text. And if you have questions that go beyond what I will share this morning, send us a message and we will cover it in this midweek's podcast. The word that usually triggers people in this sentence is submit. Submit is not a word to be feared. It's actually a word that's borrowed from the military. It literally means to be under in rank. It speaks to an organizational structure, the way in which an army is organized. The idea of submission doesn't have anything to do with someone being smarter, better, or more talented. Anyone who has served in the armed forces know that rank has to do with order, not with value or Ability. It's the functional. Can can the can the the group be organized to execute the goal that's been laid out before them? Has nothing to do with value or ability. We know that a a person, a a, a someone who is maybe a private or a captain, can be more talented and a better person than a general, but he is still or she is under the rank to the general. They aren't submitted to the general so much as a person as they are to the general as a general. In the same way, the wife doesn't submit to her husband because the husband deserves it. The wife submits because she is following Jesus. Therefore, submission means you are a part of a team. And if the family is a team, the goal of the family is to be a picture of the family of God where Christ is all and in all, where everyone has right standing before God is on equal playing field because the only person that stands between us and God is Jesus. And when we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we have access to God. And it means that we can love and serve freely for the goal of seeing more people come into the family of God. The form of the verb shows that submission is to be voluntary. The wife's submission is never to be forced on her by a demanding husband. It's not UFC-style submission, headlock, tap out, or pass out. That is not the posture. It's a willingness to enter into a type of relationship where the where the 
the rights and the responsibilities point others towards Jesus. And it says, not my will be done, but thy will. Let's, let's pursue God's will together. Now, Paul clarifies the scope of the submission. This defines the sphere of a wife's submission. It's to her own husband. The Bible never commands nor recommends a general submission of women unto men. The equality of all before the Lord, which Paul again wrote earlier in Colossians chapter 3, communicates that men and women have equal standing and access before God. In this case, to communicate the change of Christ in the wife's life, the wife orders herself in a way towards her husband. That says we will pursue the family goal. If they're both pursuing Jesus, then we will we will pursue a relationship together that best communicates the love of Jesus to the world. Paul clarifies this by saying, as is fitting to the Lord. This is that crucial phrase that provides the direction for the wife's submission. It colors everything else we understand about this passage. There have been two main wrong interpretations of this phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, each favoring a certain position. Remember that part of the curse is this jockeying for power to level up on one another, to, to posture themselves to say, who's got the power of the, of the relationship? Who can, who can get uh, higher up? And as is fitting to the Lord, as, is, as we look to the posture of Jesus, we see that it is not a, one of moving towards a position of power, but it is taking the position of power and expressing it through love and service. And so the wrong interpretation that favors the husband in jockeying for position of power means that a wife should submit to her husband as if the husband were God himself. And I'm sure I heard some chuckles through the screen uh, after that, because you know that, that sometimes guys can think of themselves as God himself. And this idea is that you should submit to God in absolutely everything without question, so you must submit to the husband in the same absolute way. This interpretation thinks that as is fitting to the Lord defines the extent of the submission. But this is wrong. Simply put, in no place does the scripture say that a person should submit to another person in that way. As in the case in every human relationship, the command is to submit is not absolute. It comes under the scope of first submitting to Jesus. When a husband asks the wife to directly sin, the wife must not submit. When the husband is medically incapacitated, insane, or under the influence of mind-altering substances, the wife may not submit. When the husband is violent and physically threatening, the wife may not submit. When the husband breaks the marriage bond by adultery, the wife does not need to submit to the husband and being in an adulterous relationship. And no place does the scripture teach an unqualified, without exception, submission, except to God and God alone. To violate this is to commit the sin of idolatry. A person on the throne of another's life will always perpetuate pain. Husbands, 
you do not sit in the driver's seat of your wife's life. The seat is meant for Jesus. Wives, your husband is not meant to sit in that driver's seat of your life. That seat is meant for Jesus. As Jesus guides and directs, you too shall then follow. And that shall provide the scope and direction for your relationship. How the character of yourself is shaped and the priorities that you put forth will first be shaped by Jesus. Now, the, the interpretation that favors the wife says that as is fitting to the Lord means I'll submit to him as long as he does what God wants. And then it is the wife's job to decide what God wants. This interpretation thinks that as fitting to the Lord defines the limit of submission. This is also wrong. It is true that there are limits to a wife's submission. I, I outline those. But when the wife approaches it as fitting to the Lord in this way, it then degenerates into the case of, I'll submit to my husband when I agree with him. Or putting yourself on the driver's seat of your own life and saying, I determine what right or wrong is, rather than allowing Jesus to determine what right or wrong is. Saying that I'll submit to him my husband, when he makes the right decisions and carries them out in a right way. When they make a wrong decision, it's not as fitting to the Lord, so I'm not going to submit to him. It isn't fitting to do so. Simply put, that is not submission at all. Except for those who are just plain cantankerous and argumentative and button pushers, everyone submits to others when they are in agreement. It is only when there is a disagreement that submission is tested. Voluntary surrendering the will first to Jesus and then through the lens of Jesus in relationship to the husband, the wife's followership of Jesus is expressed in marriage. So as fitting to the Lord does not define the extent of a wife's submission. It does not define the limit of of a wife's submission. It defines the motive of a wife's submission. It means wives submit unto your husbands because that is part of your followership of Jesus because it's an expression of your submission to Jesus, to the Lord of your life, to the person, Jesus, who is in the driver's seat of your life. And that's first expressed in baptism. That's first expressed in saying yes to him. And in saying yes to him, that begins to affect your marital relationship. Wives submit to their husbands not because it's the right thing to do or because it boosts his ego or because it gets you what you want. Wives follow Jesus first so that you point to a reversed curse. Husbands, you're not off the hook yet. That doesn't excuse you for poor or bad behavior or lording over your wife's or exerting your authority in unhealthy ways. Husbands are to love your wives. Paul's words to a husband safeguards his words to wives. The wives are to submit to their husbands. It never excuses husbands for acting as tyrants over their wives. Husband, you are not the boss of your wife. You are not the CEO of 
your family. Husbands, Jesus is the CEO of your family. You are a steward of Jesus' lordship within your family and within your relationships. This puts an obligation upon all you husbands. See, in the ancient world, under Jewish and Greek and Roman customs, all power and privileges belonged to the husbands and the household. There was no complementary powers or privileges. Pervasive throughout the culture, and even to today, is that manhood is synonymous with he who has the biggest stick. That you can take whatever you want, whenever you want it. Being a good husband, loving your wife well, has nothing to do with a certain appearance, posture, or stature. Instead, a husband must love his wife. Love that is expressed in a deliberate attitude that concerns itself with the well-being of the one loved. Husbands, you are to love your wife as Jesus has loved his church, to lay down his life for them. That's what's communicated in Ephesians 3, which is a parallel passage to this one. Jesus provides the scope of love. He is the example of what true love looks like and true direction looks like. It can It's sacrificial, giving, absorbing pain type of love. It has little to do with emotion as much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. Therefore, love is not passive. Love is active. Husbands, when you are tired and simply want to put your feet up, love is active. We can read this passage and think that Paul means, husbands, be kind to your wife, or husband, be nice to your wife. There's no doubt that for many marriage, this would be a huge improvement. But that isn't what Paul writes about. What he really means is husband continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wife. Which means you will have to swallow your pride. It means that you will have to not look to your own interests, but to the interests of your wife. Love is not weakness. Love is strength. To love as Jesus loves takes great strength. This is why Paul adds this caveat, and do not be bitter towards them. The implication is perhaps the wife has given the husband some reason to be bitter. Paul says, this doesn't matter, husband. The husband may be, feel perfectly justified in his harsh or unloving attitude and his actions toward his wife but he is not justified. Again, Paul is writing to a first century audience where, where the, the husband held all the power. Paul says, it doesn't matter if you hold the power or if you are stronger or you're more physically capable or if, if, if you're earning the money. It doesn't matter whatever reason you would use to justify, to act a certain way. No matter how the wife has been towards you, husband, love your wife. Agape love, this type of love that Paul encourages husband to express, loves even when there are obvious and glaring deficiencies, even when the receiver is unworthy of love. Husbands, there is only one way you can get this strength. 
It is not from sheer willpower it's or suppressing your emotions or paying someone else to do it. It comes from your connection to Jesus. And as we talk about the shoulds and the oughts expressed in the marriage of relationships because of our relationship with Jesus, we can be tossed into pride or despair. The yes, I totally do this, or the more likely the despair of, I can never measure up. And I don't even have a hope of measuring up. That's the whole point. Paul gets into this section after and only after the follower of Jesus understands his actions don't reverse the curse. They are a result of a reversed curse. You will have a level of submission and love within the marriage relationship. Friends, I haven't forgot you who are not married. You can encourage love and submission in marital relationships only and only when it is filtered through the lens of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence within each and every person and directs them to Jesus. I am well aware that our relationships can be like two rams and two wills butting heads. But it is only that, that butting heads become unity and become a picture of holding hands. When both people and the parties pursue Jesus. Because we know that, that if one person pursues the other person and the other person pursues Jesus, there will actually create distance. That, that if each person pursues their own interests, it, it will drive each other away. But together, when each person, the husband and the wife, pursue Jesus together, and they have people in their lives who say, pursue Jesus, get to know him, will the relationship go from just what, what happens over the course of time, from butting heads to holding hands? If you are struggling with this in your marriage right now, if you feel like there is just butting heads, or if you feel like as you are going through life right now that, that, that you are just running up a, against a wall in your willpower that you just can't seem to break through. If you are a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to revisit your commitment to Jesus. When I officiate weddings, I usually encourage couples to revisit their wedding pictures when times get tough. To get that mental image back in their mind of when they said their vows, when they said yes to each other. Because those memories can inspire you to take concrete steps to improve the situation. If you are someone who feels like you are just running on fumes, that you are out of gas, Revisit your connection to Jesus. If you are someone who is not a follower of Jesus and you've been listening to me describe what marriage relationship looks like as we follow Jesus, let me express to you that it is a beautiful picture of love and sacrifice or can be. And if you are struggling in your marriage relationship, and you aren't a follower of Jesus, and if you are a follower of Jesus and you are struggling, do not suffer in silence. Your burden is not yours alone to bear. 
connect with us at Generations Church. Allow us, some of in our very congregation who have backgrounds where they've gone through hurt and pain and have processed that well through Jesus, where Jesus says, you are not alone and you have not been forgotten. And Jesus has provided healing and restoration to their soul. We invite you to share that. Send us a message so we can walk with you through that. Do not suffer in silence. Reach out. Generations Church is to be the bride of Christ, composed of men and women who are everyday people, committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. Together, married or single, we can be a picture of a reversed curse.